Hi, I'm Marcy's niece, Amber. You're Amber? Yeah, I'm hiding from my aunt. Do you mind if I get out of these sticky clothes and take a shower? Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Okay, so welcome back to the nudie bar down under. My name is Annabelle and Otitis Medea are in concert here and I really, really, really have to go. My name is Matt, and this is my fantasy. She can wear what I want in it. And this is Luigi. Sure, I could have gotten an easy A on this podcast by teaming up with a bunch of Korean kids, but I prefer a challenge. And my name is Chris, and now that I've showered, lotioned up, and eaten a banana in front of everyone, I'm curious what's coming next. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Married with Children podcast, and we are reviewing Naughty But Nice. Season 9, Episode 4, first aired September 25th, 1994. Directed by Jerry Cohen and written by David Castro. Bud's intense studying for a scholarship exam makes him periodically nod off and fantasize about making out with beautiful women. So, it's a passionate encounter between him and Marcy's visiting sexually aggressive 19-year-old niece Amber a dream or real? Special guest cast. I'm going to go in reverse order here. I'm going to say Breezy is Kirsten Holmquist, Genghis, Joseph Reitman, Cherise, Heather Page Kent, Amber is Juliet Tablack, and Griff is Harold Sylvester. And this is a big episode because it introduces us to two recurring characters. And one of those characters is a one-season wonder. And the other one will be with us until the very end of the series. As long as anyone can remember, Bud Bundy has been a failure with women. But now, after countless years of torment, frustration and humiliation, a miracle will come to pass. Do you mind if I get out of these sticky clothes and take a shower? Bud gets lucky in an epic television event on Married with Children. Then, Jack's appearance on TV reveals some startling secrets. You slept with my best friend? Thought I was your best friend. You are now. Wild Oats following Married with Children, Sunday on Fox 29. This episode is called Naughty But Nice, and that's a pun on the title of a, a musical comedy film, Naughty But Nice. Uh, a movie from 1939, and it stars a whole bunch of people, including Ronald Reagan. Oh, wow, he was only 28 at the time, so way before he was even governor of California, so didn't mm. know he was in that. That's so crazy, is that to think of him acting back then, you don't realize how old, or like, you know, when some people were alive. He, he was acting in 1928? Did I hear that right? Uh, this is 1939, so he was oh, 28, 28, 28 yeah. years old, yes. Oh, okay, 1939. I was like, wow. Still very old. So, you know, one of the things I remember about, uh, you know, when he was president in, in those years, in the 80s, 
uh, on some of those independent TV stations that I've talked about, they used to play his films a lot. Uh, the most famous one was Bedtime for Bonzo. So he gets he plays with a chimpanzee, and actually, <laughs> we get we see some chimpanzee in Married with Children with uh, Amber and Bud uh, later this season. But um, again, that was uh, something that was very common, and I don't see those films anymore. Any they really don't play on TV anymore. So let's start at the top. To begin with, Bud enters the house with a statuesque beauty. Mm. I'm so glad you're my physics lab partner, Breezy. <laughs> sure, I could have gotten an easy A teaming up with a Korean kid, but uh, I prefer a challenge. Oh, Bud. I've watched you every day in quantum mechanics. I just love the way you glide your fingers sensuously over your Texas instruments. Take me. Another dream, Dad? <laughs> Another dream, son. She's also wearing heels. I mean, she's tall, but I mean, I did notice that she's wearing heels, and it's like, wow. <laughs> but, you know, Bud's line, you know, cracks me up every time. It's something that I've thought in the back of my head. You know, like, you know when you have, like, your inner dialogue? Mm-hmm. You know, he says, sure, I could have gotten an easy A by teaming up with a Korean kid, but I prefer a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, th this actually happened to me. I remember when I was in college, uh, I had to take a, a chemistry lab class. And uh, there was this uh, guy who was a friend of mine now. Uh, he was in he's Indian. And I was like, and he was a chemical engineer. And I'm like, oh, wow. It's like, if I need a chem, chem lab partner, this is the guy I should get. Right? <laughs> it's like, why not get the easy A? <laughs> well, yeah, it just so happened that he was completely inept in the lab. So... <laughs> I mean, he was like a, a bit of a klutz, and at one point, I gave him ten bucks to go uh, play shoot pool. Uh, I gave him ten bucks to go shoot pool with uh, some of my friends. <laughs> and I was like, "Don't worry, I'll I'll do the lab." He's like, "Just stay out of the lab, please." <laughs> <laughs> so it did backfire on me. I can't blame you for trying. <laughs> <laughs> I I like buds uh, when we get flashes of. Uh, what classes Bud's taking in college, and this is part of his dream, but still I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that he is taking quantum mechanics. I mean, we hear uh, other classes later on in season 10, um, you know, things like astrophysics. I mean, what the hell is he studying? Indeed, what is he studying? <laughs> Some sort of mishmash of hodgepodge? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, and then he's, he ends up working at the DMV, so I, I kind of wonder if all of these, <laughs> if it's more part of his dream in terms of what he's taking than what, what he's doing in reality. <laughs> oh, you got to have a stepping stone, you to have a stepping stone to, um, you're on to a goal. Now, you know, Breezy says to him about gliding his fingers over the Texas instruments, right? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, did any of you ever use a Texas instruments calculator in high school or college? Not really common in no. Australia, no. No? Chris? I, I mean, I mean, I did. I mean, I, we started using them. Of course, we started using them heck in uh, 
in junior high. I had a TI, uh, I think, 30 or 36, I believe, in like seventh grade. And then um, by the time, uh, by the time, really in high school, I think we were on TI 81s, I believe. <laughs> and the higher you go, uh, I, I guess they're not that common in Australia, but the higher you go, the more functions the calculator has. Uh, you get to a point where you can graph points on it and, and do all types of things. I mean, but yeah, they're a pretty big deal. And I mean, I'm pretty sure they're a big deal all over the U.S., if not just Texas, you know. Yeah, I used a, a TI-82. So uh, for uh, Annabelle and Matt, they're graphing calculators. Right. So you could you could put in a quadratic equation and it'll actually draw what it looks like on the on the screen. I wonder if they're used nowadays, because if you think about it, a cell phone has, you know, a million times the computing power of one of those uh, graphing calculators. So I'm just curious. Because I mean, that would have been what Bud was probably referring to in the mid-90s, in 1994. It would have been like an 81 or an 82, I would think. But um, like I said, I, I haven't seen them in years, so I don't know if, if uh, students still use them. I think they would because schools here in Australia um, have strict fo- f- rules about mobile phone use. So I'm pretty sure um, um, high schoolers would still use graphics calculators. I know I did when I was um, in high school in the mid to late 2000s. It's a good question. I hadn't really thought about that. But uh, uh, smartphones change the entire world when you think about it. But, yeah, not sure on that. I'm uh, Just looking up, you can, can still buy those calculators at target they're looking very fancy but yeah i because i i left high school after you tend to go to performing arts school so i never got to use um such a calculator and i don't think we have those specific calculators here anyway but yeah i just thought it was interesting yeah. i think i think what she was uh, trying to allude to is like everything's bigger in texas <laughs> yes <laughs> yes you're a resident texan right yeah everything's bigger and better here man <laughs> Well, Bud is dreaming, and uh, to prove that, the scene devolves, dissolves rather, to Bud asleep on the couch, groping his own father. I know he goes from <laughs> this nice babe with a sparkling dress, smoking blonde yeah. hair. Oh, she looks just stunning. I mean, watching this episode, um, well, yesterday to review it, I was like, oh, and then, oh, poor Bud snuggling to his daddy, <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't seem to to care. <laughs> Why didn't you stop me? There's a game on! <laughs> <laughs> While Bud is studying for an Oxford scholarship and Al is not sure what an Oxford university is, he thinks it is something you sell. Yeah, he's been selling them for years. I know, <laughs> hey! <laughs> <laughs> I, those... That's another bust out laughing line. Because <laughs> <laughs> for those not in the know, um, Oxford University is the oldest university in the English-speaking world the second oldest university in continuous operation after the University of Bologna in Italy. And as a lot of you would also know, Oxford has a rivalry with Cambridge to the northeast, also in England, which was founded after disputes between students and the townsfolk of Oxford. Um, that's how Cambridge came about. The two universities these days, while still having friendly competitions, they share many common features and are often jointly referred to as Oxbridge just for those who aren't familiar with um, elite universities. Indeed. 
Does anyone else find it funny that Bud thinks he's going to go from a community college in uh, Chicago to uh, Oxford? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is like, I mean, Oxford is world-renowned. If I'm not mistaken, that's pretty much the Harvard of the UK, right? Yes, um, Oxford and Cambridge are the original Harvard and Yale. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's I the mean, other way around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's it's interesting you mentioned that. Harvard. Um, that will come back to something we'll discuss a bit later. So an Oxford shoe is characterised by shoelace eyelet tabs that are attached under the vamp, a, a feature termed closed lacing. So right. Oxford, Oxfords were plain formal shoes made of leather, but they evolved into a range of styles suitable for formal, uniform or casual wear. And they first appeared in Scotland and Ireland when they're occasionally called Balmorals after Balmoral Castle. But, however, the shoes were later named Oxfords after Oxford University. Now, what was interesting was I, I said to myself, you know, Oxfords, I thought, was a men's shoe. Like, in my mind, whenever I hear the word Oxford, I thought it was specifically a man's shoe. But they are, there is a woman's version of the Oxford shoe. Yeah, I tend to think of it as a man's shoe. Yeah, because yeah, I thought there was a continuity issue. Because, like, why, why would Al be selling Oxfords in the women's shoe store? But, nope, I st- stand corrected. So, yeah, Bud's been having dreams. Another dream. <laughs> I, I hate to think who else he's been sleeping next to. Uh, so he hasn't slept much cause since he's been studying for this scholarship. So Bud needs a, a quiet place to study. But I got to study, so can you try to keep it down? Gotcha! <laughs> Cut to the left! Cut to the left! Now! Go for the end zone! I thought you were watching cheerleaders. I am. Damn cameramen shooting their faces. Dad, remember the scholarship? Son, remember your room? Where's the study upstairs? Because Kelly is blasting music in her room. Some band she wants to see, Otitis Medea. What a stupid name. Otitis Medea? No, Kelly. <laughs> Never liked that name. Always want to call her Spike. Of course, I won a son. Never got one, damn way. Dad, can you stop seniling around and turn this game off long enough for me to study? Son, this game is important. The Bears are playing the Rams, and if you lose to the Rams, you get thrown out of the league. <laughs> Why am I fighting? I know where the quietest place in the world is. <laughs> yeah, because the camera was pointing to their faces. Mm. But why doesn't Bud study upstairs? Oh, Kelly's blasting music up there, which you ironically can't hear from um, downstairs. But uh, yeah, she's probably blasting him. He's blasting her music. Yeah, there's some band which she wants to see called Otitis Medea, and I love the fake names that this show comes up with sometimes. <laughs> Otitis Medea is a real thing. It's a it's a group of inflammatory diseases of the middle ear. And this, <laughs> it's kind of awesome. Uh, <laughs> so one of the two main types is acute otitis media, and then there's otitis media with effusion. And if you want to know more about it, you're welcome to look it up. But just to say, yeah, a band named after an ear infection sounds pretty metal to me. So we've had other fake bands on this show. I mean, most recently, Burn Beyond Recognition. We've had Oozing Meat, Jimmy Dick of the Nightsticks. The Y. Um, any others? The Tuxedos. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a callback for our Steve fans. Yes. 
Yes. I'm sure Jerry would love that. The oozing meat one cracks me up. (laughs) 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 So I was watching uh, football and um, be better if an American explained this, but yes, the Bears are playing the Rams. And apparently if you lose to the Rams, you get thrown out of the league. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, and weren't the Rams uh, in the Super Bowl uh, last year, was it, Chris? Again, I'm not a football fan, but I do remember them being... Uh, in the Super Bowl. Yeah, the Rams were in the Super Bowl last year, uh, February of 2020. Yeah, so the Rams were an L.A.-based team from 1946 to 1994. So right after this episode aired, they went to St. Louis from 1995 to 2015, and they returned to Los Angeles in 2016. Huh. Yeah, Al's joke about getting kicked out of the league if you lose to the Rams is funny. I think that's I think that's the Houston Texans now. If you lose to us, you get kicked out of the league. <laughs> <laughs> or probably be the Jets, I would think, right? Yeah, they're pre- they're pretty bad too. <laughs> <laughs> I know a bunch of Jet fans that, you know, they I mean, so I guess for Australian uh friends here. So the Jets last time they run they won the Super Bowl was when Joe Namath was their quarterback. So this is in 1969, I'm going to say. So uh, they've been a pretty uh, hapless team since then. And uh, they have a pretty uh, lousy record. So <laughs> I think uh, I think if you lose to the Jets, but I, I don't know. I'll have to defer to you, Chris, because, again, I don't know much about football. Well, at least the Jets can say that they won a Super Bowl. <laughs> Although, in, in our defense, we've only been a franchise since 2002. But, yeah, we have, uh, we've won... I believe three playoff games total in franchise history. So, <laughs> yeah, as a general rule, if you get if you lose to the Texans, you get kicked out of the league. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, in our football league in Australia, the Australian Football League, uh, there's three teams that have never won a premiership, but they've only been in the league for tw- 25 years or less. But still, we've got our own loser teams over here. One of which is based in my city of Perth. <laughs> Okay, so why is Bud fighting? I mean, he knows where the quietest place in the world is. So the scene flips to the shoe store. And this is where I thought, hang on, shouldn't Al be at work? But I guess not, and we find out why. So in walks another beauty. Oh, yeah. And this girl looked really familiar, and her name is Heather Page Kent. And I found out fairly recently, actually, that she is Heather Dubrow. And she is probably known these days for being on the Real Housewives of OC, Orange County. That's right. You know, when I saw, when I rewatched this episode and I see her walk in, I'm like, I know this girl. It's like, I mean, I mean, just her face. It's like um, a real beauty. And I'm like, I know her from somewhere. And, you know, when I go look on IMDb, it's like, sure enough. It's like, wow, it is her. Yeah. And she has a familiar last name, and um, I think she's the sister-in-law of Kevin Dubrow, who's the in the band Quiet Riot. Um, that's where I know that last name from. And then I realized that, oh, I've seen this girl on TV. I don't watch The Real Housewives of, of anywhere, but I do recognize her for sure. She's very familiar looking. She's an actress too, I should say. And in this case, uh, well... Breezy is a well. This time, Bud's dreaming about a brunette woman. Uh, so again, very, very hot bird here. She wants Bud really bad. Uh, <laughs> she wants her tootsies rolled with a size six, but 
Bud only carries a nine. Oh, I mean, you feel happy for Bud, but oh, hang on. Oh, what's happening to the scene? Oh, 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 I think it's dissolving into. Oh, he's kissing a mannequin leg. Oh, come on, <laughs> Bud. <laughs> come on. That's just pathetic. <laughs> I don't know where he got that mannequin leg from, but that is a shot that will be used for his opening credit in season 10, incidentally. But um, there's, there's a slight mistake in Bud's dialogue here. I just want to digress. He speaks in French. Oh, this is so exciting for me, mon chéri. <laughs> now, if you'll allow me to nibble on your love grapes. <laughs> and he says, this is so exciting for me, mon chéri. He should have said Ma Sherry. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing this in high school back in when I used to actually take French. Because uh, when you say Ma Sherry, uh, sorry, Ma Sherry and Mon both refer to my darling or that sort of term of endearment. But the difference is that one's feminine because Ma Sherry, which is said to a female, and Mon is said to a male. So Bud mixed up his sexes there. Yeah, but, but in Bud's defense, if I remember from the old uh, uh, Pepe Le Pew commercials, didn't he call the female cat Monchetti? I think he did. I think, oh. yeah, and it's pr- that's sort of the vibe Bud was giving off there because I was going to actually write, oh, he's a bit Pepe Le Pew, but I didn't think much of it. But I think Pepe Le Pew said that too. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't like, I'm not a Pepe Le Pew fan. Well, just remember, I mean, the Americans were terrible at French, right? So <laughs> I would say we probably, Pepe Le Pew probably got it wrong. <laughs> and I think Bud is just channeling his Pepe Le Pew, but I think that's I where think it is. he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, he's also taking after Marv and Home Alone, who he says mortuary to a woman and not mortuary. He, he also taking after that as well. That was only two years prior to this. So, uh, yeah, none of them, none of, neither Bud nor Marv speak fluent French. So I think we can forgive Bud here. He speaks better French than probably I do. <laughs> so Bud's dreaming again. And someone comes out of the storeroom. And this is where we meet Griff. Name's Griff. I work here. That's funny. Dad never told me he hired another guy. And who are you? Bud. Al Bundy's my father. That's funny. He never told me he had a son. (laughs) Daughter? Nope. Wife? Not living. (laughs) Four touchdowns in one game? Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) That's why I told him to go home. I couldn't stand it anymore. (laughs) And it's interesting that Griff's first episode, he doesn't share any screen time with Al. He just has this one-off scene in the shoe store here with Bud. Now, Luigi, you're a Griff fan. Yes, I am. In season eight, you know, I covered the uh, Al's co-workers and uh, this is the last and the most famous of his co-workers. So Griff is actually the fifth person to be one of Al's co-workers. You know, as per our friends at Bundiology, we have Luke Ventura, who was in, who had four appearances in season one. Here's a very obscure one for some of you Married with Children fans. There was Jim Bauer, who was mentioned in season four, but we never saw or heard from him. Then we have, in season eight, the five appearances of Aaron. And, you know, as I discussed with Chris, Aaron was a great... Uh, 
foil, I guess, for Al, because he what, tried to emulate Al, but he was really like Bud and Kelly's age. So as a sidekick for uh, Al Bundy, for the character of Al Bundy, he really didn't think that Aaron would work long term. Then we get introduced to my one-hit wonder, Dexter, and I, th I think he's probably my favorite of all. <laughs> uh, but he has his one-hit wonder appearance in the Burn Beyond Recognition episode, Nooner or Later. Uh, but the only problem with him as a character was, and that he was played by Chad McBride, was that he was married. Like, he was no different than Al in terms of being, like, in his uh, you know, state of life. So then they came up with Griff. And Griff appeared in 44 episodes, and he was the longest-serving co-worker sidekick. So Griff is played by Harold Sylvester. Uh, Harold was born in 1949 in New Orleans. He is a graduate of Tulane University. He turned down Harvard and attended Tulane on a basketball scholarship and graduated in 1972 with a degree in theater and psychology. And he was the first African-American to receive an athletic scholarship from Tulane. He has multiple acting credits, uh, as well as producing credits, uh, for everything from Inner Space to An Officer and a Gentleman, Uncommon Valor. Uh, he's been married to his wife, Kathleen, since 1970. They have two children. A very impressive resume. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a huge list of credits, and it goes back to, as you were saying, the 70s, and he's sort of been working steadily up until he doesn't have any credits after 2015. So whether or not he's moving behind the scenes or he's retired, I'm not entirely sure. But interestingly enough, in 1985-86, he was in a television series called Mary, which with Mary Tyler Moore, he had a recurring role in that series. And that's notable for starring a a pre-Peg Katie Seagal. So they, Peg and Griff, have met before. And interesting, Peg's not in this episode at all um, herself. But yeah, she and Griff have a bit of history, which which is cute. But um, yeah, he's 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 a Harold Sylvester. He's a wonderful actor. He's been in a lot of a lot of things, and perhaps most notably, an officer and a gentleman. He's got a, a good supporting role in that one. Um, there are some great pictures of him online when he was young in a whole assortment of roles. I mean, he pops up in TV shows here and there. Of course, he's probably known more for married children these days. Yeah, it's not surprising to learn that he went to university on a basketball scholarship because he's very tall and built like a basketball player. <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to have a place to go. <laughs> then I got divorced. Now I got two places I don't go. <laughs> yep. Divorced. She got the house, the car, the money. I got the right to remain silent. <laughs> but that's fair, I guess. Of course, what really ticks me off is that even Michael Jackson's married and I'm not. <laughs> But I'm not bitter. <laughs> you going back to your study. <laughs> now, you know, what's interesting about Al's sidekicks, you know, his co-workers at the shoe store, in the uh, original pilot episode, the unaired pilot, the Luke Ventura character was given top billing. I think that, you know, the, the purpose of having a co-worker was to give 
them more story points, you know, for the character Val Bundy in the shoe store. But for some reason or other, that didn't work out. I mean, I did like the character of Luke Ventura. I mean, he was very sleazy. Uh, you know, he was mm-hmm. like the sleazy foil to Al um, because it's like he had the life that Al wanted, right? It's like, you know, he was sleep. He was able to sleep with women. Uh, he lived in the uh, apartment building with all the stewardesses. But, I, you know, from what I understand, uh, he didn't get along with uh, – the actor Rich Snyder didn't get along with Michael Moy. That was my understanding as to why he was written off. Right. So then, like we moved on, I guess at some point they said, "Well, you know, we have to mention that Al has some help at the shoe store because he can't be working there all the time." So they mentioned this guy named Jim Bauer, and again, he was a one-hit. You know, I don't know if mm. you could say it a one-hit wonder. He was just like a, a sentence in one episode in season four. So then. You know, in season eight, they wanted to really get out of the living room after season seven. So they experimented. And finally, the experiment, you know, I think really worked off with Griff. You know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, with Griff, we get a lot of A and B plots now, uh, seasons nine through 11. He was more of a straight man, I would say, to Al uh, as, uh, you know, I'd say like, you know, well, Al was the comic foil. I said, we learned that he's divorced. A lot of his jokes have to do with about being a divorced person. Uh, he also brings a lot of like black jokes to the show. Yeah. <laughs> There's one joke uh, in the future. It's going to be like, um, it's like, uh, oh, like, uh, uh, it's like, I, I sound uh, Caucasian when I'm excited. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, remember, like, he made a joke about uh, hanging with Mr. Cooper. Right. <laughs> But, you know, yep. he's got much better customer service skills than Al, but uh, he's also a loser who gets stuck in, <laughs> gets sucked into Al and no man's schemes. And, you know, we'll see that uh, as we go along. So I, I think like one of the, the, the divorce jokes that pops up right here is just like, you know, he says about his ex-wife, he says, she got the house, the money, the car and the money, and I got the right to remain silent. <laughs> <laughs> Griff's referring to the uh, Miranda rights that we see so often in cop shows. So the Miranda warning from the 1966 U.S. Supreme Court case, Miranda versus Arizona. It is a type of notification customarily given by police to criminal suspects in police custody or in an interrogation, advising them of their right to silence. That is their right to refuse to answer questions or provide information to law enforcement or other officials. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in court. You have the right to talk to a lawyer for advice before you ask you any questions. You have a right to a lawyer with you during questioning. If you cannot afford a lawyer, one will be appointed for you, etc., etc. I think the follow-up joke was pretty funny. He says, you know, but that's fair, I guess. Of course, what really ticks me off is that even Michael Jackson's married and I'm not. very much a joke of the time and this is the second episode in a row with a reference to michael jackson and lisa marie presley's marriage um there was one in last week's episode too so they had only recently just married i think it was uh, in may of 1994 but it wasn't announced until august so as soon as this hit the press everyone just made jokes about it left right and center so yeah, the fact that I mean, because that came out that came out of left yeah, field. Yeah, I mean, I remember this. It's like what? Yeah, and the, yeah. I think yeah. everyone was like, huh? 
the, the king of pop married the daughter of the king. I mean, it, it, it's just kind of bizarre. Yeah, and um, very out of left field and very much new and fresh information at this time. Not only is Michael Jackson still alive in this in 1994, but yes, he's married the daughter of Elvis. It was very much a left field thing, so and that's why everyone just sort of jumps on it and it's these pop culture references that do date the show, but it's still at the same time we know exactly what they're talking about. Exactly. Plus it's a nice time capsule of the period the show was set yeah. in, so it's a good historical basis for that. Um, especially for people like me who actually take the time to research the references and actually get it. Yeah. Now, what I thought was interesting, I mean, they were only married for a short period of time. I'm going to say it was maybe like two, no more than two years. Oh, at most, yeah. But it was, I mean, just shocking. I mean, Chris, do you remember this? Uh, yeah, I do. I was a kid. I, I, I remember my parents talking about it. But yeah, I totally agree. It's it's a good time capsule when you're watching this. And, um, you know, you, you watch it and you're like, man, remember when uh, Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley were married? <laughs> To add to kind of add on what you're saying, I'm a huge Griff, Griff fan myself. He's uh, definitely my favorite, and he's definitely the most influential support character in the series. And uh, you know, looking here, he was in 44 episodes. I wonder if when they brought Harold Sylvester in, I wonder if they knew that he was going to eventually become, um, you know, such an influential character uh, throughout season 10 and 11. You know what I mean? By the time we get to the end of the show, there is entire episodes centered around the relationship between him and Al. You know, the the uh, trash episode comes to mind where they joined the National Guard. Uh, you know, that's that episode's pretty much centered around Al, Griffin, Jefferson, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think they made the right choice in selecting him um, as Al's um, long-term sidekick, you know. I mean, I think the characters of Aaron and Dexter were really, really good. But, uh, you know, Luigi, as you pointed out, they, they didn't work out for, uh, for various reasons. But, man, they made the right choice in Griff. He's brilliant. I mean, if I were to turn this on, having never watched the show before, I would probably think that he had been in all nine seasons up to this point. Because <laughs> he has chemistry, really good chemistry with everyone right off the bat. Yeah, he very much fits in, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. And, you know, I think in answer to your question, Chris, I... I don't think that they knew where they were going. I mean, again, looking at this episode without seeing the future, it's like, I don't think that they knew how this was going to turn out. I mean, Mm because if you get to the end of the series, I mean, you would have thought that they would have given Harold Sylvester like top billing, but they didn't. So I think it like it grew organically. It's almost like, you know, this was like one scene, you know, it was a very quick scene. It's like, okay, here, we're going to introduce this character. It's like, you know, get a couple of jokes in. And then, you know, in the subsequent episodes, then you start to see them interacting with each other. And I think it just grew organically, but, uh, or maybe there's some contractual things about it. But, uh, I mean, he should have gotten top billing, you would think, by like season 10. But it never happened. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it did happen organically and fairly naturally and didn't force anything too much. Just let him see how he would play and and sort of knew that they got a good actor to play the role. And and also at this point, it's beginning of season nine. I mean, we're a couple of episodes deep now. Say, for example, Peg is still absent. So we've got Katie Seagull out on maternity leave. And so whether or not they needed someone else for Al to play against and without knowing how long she would be out, for example, or 
yeah, just sort of tested it episode by episode and, and realised he was a good fit and would be around until the end. Well, they obviously knew what they were doing. Uh, well, they tried Aaron, they tried Dexter, and they hit the jackpot with Griff. Uh, I mean, I love, I love Griff as well. Uh, uh, he was, he was just such a legend during them this this time of the show. When um, I mean, I don't think Al needed a sidekick in say season five, but season nine was around the time that um he would have really he really benefited from one uh, along with the No Man crew. So obviously the stars were aligned. Just my two cents. No, I agree. Griff won't stop talking about how miserable his life is. I shouldn't laugh, but yes. So it's funny. It is. It is funny. I mean, he's, divorce. Divorce is funny. Marriage. Marriage is funny, but divorce is funny. It can be very funny too. Yeah. I mean, I find marriage yeah. jokes very appealing. And Griff isn't real. Yeah, I mean, so, so yeah, cool. I, I like one of the the, the interchange between Alan, uh, excuse me, Bud and Griff when he goes. It's like. You never told you had a son? It's like, no, daughter, no, wife, not living. <laughs> Four touchdowns in one game? Oh, hell yeah. All the time. <laughs> so clearly Griff's getting too upset and he probably would have kept talking to Bud because he's lonely and, and Bud needs a quiet place to study. So he goes back home and why do I suddenly feel I'm in the presence of great evil? Hi, Mom. <laughs> Look, I can't talk long, honey. I just called to give you a grandma update. The doctors have told us that she can take those long walks in the woods again as long as she wears the orange drop cloth. (laughs) (laughs) It's Peg. Um, Peg on the phone in one of her pre-recorded scenes. And... I listened to this and it's it's a funny conversation which is Peg rattling on. But have you actually listened to what's going on in the background of that call? It's all these animal noises and they just, it's like just all this um foley of animal noises just all throughout mostly at like a donkey or something. But if you watch the episode again, just listen to what's going on in the background because it made me LOL. And we're hoping with any luck, they'll be able to separate the twins next Friday. So, honey, what's going on there? Well, actually, there's a scholarship. Oops. Time's up. Gotta go. I'll have to check that out. (laughs) Well, she is in Wanker County. Indeed. Yep, very rural, and it reminds me of an old Pink Floyd experimental track from 1969, uh, Several Species of Animals, that's a short version of the name, which is largely improvised animal noises, so it could be channeling that even. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you all the link. It's called Several Species of Animals, and basically Roger Waters improvising animal noises for about <laughs> four, five minutes? <laughs> How many drugs did he take? Uh, this was 1969, so between the, all the band members, uh, probably quite a lot. Yeah. Fair uh, uh, pro- probably LSD, right? Probably. <laughs> you know, Lorenzo Saint Dubois, for those of you uh, who might know that reference. Yes. So, yeah, Peg's still in Wanker County. Um, she doesn't really tell us anything new. I mean, she gives us a grandma update. And Peg is a relative good Aunt Sadie, or Aunt Sadie. I mean, uh, sometimes I take note of Peg's relatives because I'm just going to make a huge list of them one day. And that sometimes I lose track and I realise, oh, hang on, she mentioned yet another relative. And right as Peg's voice starts speeding up and the clock starts ticking, she says something. Oh, you know, her eye has stopped leaking now, which I thought was very gross and funny. Yeah, well, well, that happened to uh, Steve's, uh, oh, excuse me, Marcy's mother used to have the runny eye, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> At least her eye doesn't run like a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Peg's Peg's scene is just her checking in and to delay Bud's quiet time even further. And as soon as Bud hangs up the phone, Kelly finally appears. And she's still looking amazing with her relatively new short look hair look, and uh, she's wearing a Walkman. Uh, so somehow, apparently, incredibly deaf and st- blurting out everything even after she takes off the headphones. Oh, Titus Medea is in concert right here, and I have to go. Please, it's only a couple hundred dollars. Kelly, <laughs> at least have the decency to take the headphones off when I say no to you. <laughs> Please, Dad, I have to go. It's the greatest band in the world. Kelly, will you be quiet? Your brother's trying to study. <laughs> That's uh, Kelly. Mm. <laughs> or, or is it Spike? Oh, yeah, that's right, because Alan, he wanted sons, and he was going to name um, his firstborn Spike. He sounds like just my, uh, like my own grandmother here. I mean, real life, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you want to talk about a time capsule, think about a Walkman. I know, <laughs> yes. or even a Discman. <laughs> yeah, when was the last time you used one of those? 2005. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, Al, Al supposedly wears a Walkman when he's having sex with Peg. <laughs> Remember that reference, right? <laughs> yes, yes, in uh, season three. Kelly wants to see her Titus Medea in concert. It's only a couple of hundred dollars, which is quite a lot back then. <laughs> so, so let's say it's 200, right? If it's a couple of hundred, let's say 200, right? Right, let me just yeah. inflate that. Inflation calculator. Let's say 100 bucks a ticket. She wants two tickets, maybe? Yeah, sounds about right. I'll just get the converter up too. So, two hundred American dollars in nineteen ninety four is now three hundred and fifty one dollars and nineteen cents in in today's money. Yikes. If you convert that to Australian money to dollary dues, you are looking at four hundred and sixty six dollars and eighteen cents in Australian money. Ooh, and I want to see Guns N' Roses when they come here, and I think that might be the price for the VIP experience. I'm not wow. sure how much regular tickets are, but yeah. Maybe. Okay, so so what is it? Uh, so Titus Medea is much uh, much more famous than Guns N' Roses. Yes, is that what it is? <laughs> well, apparently, or, <laughs> or they're a more exclusive, a more elite band, or something. <laughs> well, Guns N' Roses had pretty, all but disbanded by this point. They're still touring, but they were very much on their last legs uh, in late '94. So um, yeah, they were just about to split. So any other metal band or any band, rock band, really, they were sort of coming up to take their place. So. Yeah, who knows? Maybe they were worth some money. So, yeah, Kelly won't be quiet. <laughs> but then Marcy and Jefferson come in, and Marcy's got some big news, hasn't she? Oh, she does. It's I think it's a new addition to the family. Uh, well, not the sort that she'd have to sit on an egg for. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a new addition to our family. Well, shouldn't you be sitting on it, waiting for it to hatch? <laughs> a baby? Better. We're gonna have a teenager. (laughs) Well then, can I strongly recommend that you have a cesarean? (laughs) No, Kelly. My niece, Amber, is coming from Los Angeles to stay with us for a while. Bud, you met Amber six years ago when she was 13. You remember? (laughs) What? 
think she's beautiful. Yeah, but you think Jefferson works. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I sweat and don't enjoy it, I call it work. <laughs> anyway, Amber's parents think she's been hanging out with the wrong crowd in L.A., getting a little too wild, so I'm going to teach her traditional Midwestern values. Like what, wearing print dresses, serving lots of tuna casserole, and getting fat? Exactly. And while she's here, you, Al Bundy, are not to offend her in any way. And that includes going outside with your shirt off? Or bending over and showing us that vertical smile we've come to know and love? She's going to be having a teenager. <laughs> Which sounds, makes Amber sound very young, but Amber is 19, so about as old as the teenager can get. So, yeah, this is introducing us to Amber. And uh, Marcy says that Amber's parents think she's been hanging out with the wrong crowd in L.A. But isn't, isn't this the opposite of the premise of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Yes, because that was from Philly to L.A., and this is going from L.A. to Chicago. So, um, yeah, so back to the Midwest, not Midwest to L.A. And Midwestern values, apparently that's getting fat. I can relate to that. I've gained around 40 pounds, 20 kilos this year. Uh, well, last year, 2020. Uh, eating tuna casserole. Um, casseroles and hot dishes are very popular in the Midwest, especially in, well, Minnesota and Wisconsin, probably more so in Illinois, and wearing print dresses. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like the you know Marcy's line. This is and um, and while she's here, Al, <laughs> you're not to offend her in any way, and that includes going outside with your shirt off. <laughs> or <laughs> bending over and showing us that vertical smile we've come to know and love. <laughs> I know what that is. So uh, they're going to put Amber up in their second bedroom, which, hang on, isn't that Jefferson's billiard room? Yeah, you know, and when they mentioned that, yeah, when they mentioned that, um, you remember uh, back, I mean, this is way back, what is it, season one, when they when they wanted to make the room, what was that, room with a view? Mm-hmm. Um, whose room is it anyway? Whose room is it anyway, right? So uh, what happened? The thing is, they needed a variance, but I guess Al never signed the variance for that. So it just must be the second bedroom of the house, right? I think so. And they were trying to decide which room to make, and they said that it's going to be a sitting room somewhere they can escape the pressures of the living room. That needed, <laughs> <laughs> needed uh, Al, in fact, to sign the variance, and they never did, and they ended up just trying to pit them against each other instead. Yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, even Jefferson says that they have a solarium. Now, I mean, like, you would imagine that, you know, homes that were built next to each other would be, like, kind of similar. So, I mean, like, it's like the Darcy's home is uh, much is a much nicer setup than uh, Alan Pegg's. Mm. Well, the solarium, it sounds very much like a Jefferson thing. Like, so I assume that he installed that somehow, probably with Marcy's money, um, after he moved in. You'd assume. That sounds plausible. Plus, um, a lot of houses, especially in older neighbourhoods, um, do tend to be quite distinctive. Speaking from where I live um, here in Perth, uh, a lot of houses tend to be um, well, have their own character, whereas newer areas, they look pretty much the same, just um, different numbers in the houses front door, I swear. Hey, Luigi, you just hit a point that I, I think it's always funny to think about, is the fact that the Bundys and the Jeffersons are, or the Bundys and the Darcy, excuse me, are next door neighbors. 
but yet they supposedly live so differently. I mean, you think about the Bundys, they eat toaster shavings and toothpaste sandwiches and tang wipes and stuff. And the Darcy's live really well. And then, you know, we have episodes like this where we mention, mention how different their houses are. And so it's like, they're next door neighbors. How could they be that much different? You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> but we already know it's, you know, a huge logic blunder that Al could afford that house on what he makes at the, at the shoe store anyways. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Chris, no, a great point. You know, one thing I want to say is like, you know, you just, you call the Darcy's the Jeffersons, you know, Tyler has done this a lot on the podcast. You know? <laughs> and every time I hear that, it's like that moving on up theme, you know, <laughs> comes yeah. blaring into my head. I mean, you know, that was uh, featured prominently on the dances with Wheezy podcast. So for those of you who haven't uh, heard that, <laughs> haven't caught up with that yet, but uh, if you want to hear moving on up, it's like, we got it in that one. Oh yeah. By the way, I'm very excited um, that we're getting Amber. She's uh, one of my favorite uh, support characters in the whole series. Wow. Um, I think despite despite Bud's reputation and uh, you know the stereotype he has, uh, he actually at this at this era of the show at least he starts to get some really amazing women he and does. really amazing uh, really amazing uh, girlfriends and uh, or love interests, whatever you want to call them, and. Uh, Amber is my personal favorite of his in the series. I think they had really, really good chemistry. Uh, I believe at this point, uh, David Faustino and Juliet Tablack were dating in real life. So, you know, that chemistry uh, shown really uh, showed really well on uh, on camera. And uh, it's a shame we only have her for four episodes. It, it feels like longer than that because all of her episodes are you know, memorable and impactful in my book, but uh, she's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, I was going to ask you if, if it felt that she was in more episodes than she is, because she's only around for just this season, and it's only four episodes, but like you say, um, it's a pretty big deal for Bud, and um, Amber does have a lot of fans, as as evident today. I'm a massive yeah. Amber fan as well. Um, when I first watched the series in 07 and 08, uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of seasons 8 through 11 um, for a number of reasons, but I was I, the Amber episodes, even back then, I was a huge fan of. So, um, And I grew to love Amber even more and more as I rewatched the series getting older for, again, a number of reasons, which I'll probably go into later, including possibly having a crush on a um, one of my colleagues. I was working in a school. Her name was Amber as well, and she actually looked a bit like... Um, Amber for married to children. Not kidding. <laughs> well, before we meet Amber, Bud has to get rid of the other members of the family first. I'm going to put a stop to this right now. He's got a gun! <laughs> now, here's what we're going to do. This is all the money I have. So, Dad, here, take some money and go to the nudie bar. <laughs> Game's not over. And the Rams take the field. Okay, it's over. <laughs> Thanks, son. Kelly, go get yourself some concert tickets. <gasps> Thank you, bud. If you weren't my brother, yeah, I would... I know, you'd be surrendering your body for an ice cream and a pony ride. Get out. <laughs> Mrs. Darcy, uh -huh. take Amber to the groomers. I, I mean, the movies. <laughs> uh, bud? Yeah? Can I go to the nudie bar with Al? 
Oh, finally. I'm quiet. Just you and me now, Buck Boy. Uh-oh. I've seen porno films that start like this. That gun line. <laughs> That's a line that when I first saw this episode, it really cracked me up. It's like, I'm going to put a stop to this right now. And Jefferson hides behind Marcy. And then... <laughs> Which cracked me up the first time I saw that, but in subsequent watches, I'm like, oh, okay. But it was very funny. And then Bud, Bud has money. Whether it's from acting as Kelly's agent, I don't know, but he's got all this money. He sends Al away, he sends Kelly away, and Marcy, and eventually Jefferson. Yeah, well, I, I just thought, you know, it was funny, the fact that he had the money, but then you know, he goes and he looks at the... Uh... He looks at Buck and he says, just you and me now, Buck boy. And Buck has his one zinger of the episode. He's like, I've seen porno films that start like this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, give it to Married with Children to give a bestiality joke, you know, like throw it in right there. It's like wonderful, man. Like so on point. It's like, you know, it's like then like I think to myself, it's like, this is why I love this show. (laughs) completely you know completely out of left field like not what you're expecting and boom yeah and and what i even love is like the fact that like when when they zoom in on buck it's like he's just sort of like panting right there it's like just even the look like he was the perfect dog you know for the for this family oh yeah now in comes amber what is it hi I'm Marcy's niece, Amber. You're Amber? Yeah. I'm hiding from my aunt. Do you mind if I get out of these sticky clothes and take a shower? Yeah, Bud still can't get some peace and quiet, but now suddenly he doesn't seem to mind so much. No, especially after how much she's blossomed, apparently, since um, 1988, was Marcy showed um, but a picture of Amber when she was 13. Apparently, we never actually see the picture, she was ugly back then, but Amber now? Oh. <laughs> she's a swan. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, to our listeners, I'll let you know we have some very exciting news about Amber. Uh, about Juliet Tablack, which I'll be mentioning at the end of the podcast. Well, we're talking about Amber. So, and you mentioned that she and David Faustino did date for real. And I know I have read that somewhere. And I've ever since the podcast started, I've been trying to track down more info about them. But a while ago, I found just articles at the time I know they were together but there are some pictures of them together and some of them have dates on them but Married Children in this season season 9 they did celebrate their 200th episode and of course her being part of the show she was um, invited to attend that but I believe they intended it attended it together so there are several pictures of them at the married children 200th episode party in early 1995 but to find other pictures of them together is is a hard task and um maybe they just didn't date very long but yeah they certainly have chemistry so now that you've showered and lotioned up (laughs) and eaten a banana in front of me What, uh, what brings you to Chicago? Aunt Marcy sent me first-class plane tickets. Oh. 
Must have been a great trip. It was. I cashed him in and hitchhiked. <laughs> but believe me, hitching across the country is not as safe as it sounds. I mean, there were some people so freaky, I almost didn't get in the car with them. So yeah, Amber comes in and she's greeted warmly by the audience and by Bud. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, this is, you know, if you think about the fact that uh, Bud has been dreaming this episode, it's like Amber does everything that Bud would, you would expect Bud to dream that she's, she would be doing. It's like, you know, so she took a shower. She's like lotioning up in front of him. She eats a banana in front of him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed we don't see the banana eating, but I did like that there was a banana peel on the table. That's right. <laughs> that was probably the, the Fox sensors right there, right? You can't eat a banana on TV. <laughs> yes. No. Well, heck, I mean, the, the, the scenario later in the episode where she climbs in the window, that basically is a dream for every guy on Earth. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think that's one of the reasons I like this episode is because it's sort of like... Every guy's dream to be sitting at home and have a, a woman as, as pretty as Amber climb, just climb in your window like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? One comment I want to make about Amber and Kelly, you know, that I've sort of noticed a little bit more as I'm watching these episodes more intently. It appears that neither of them have been wearing bras. <laughs> You're correct. I've noticed that as well. <laughs> I, I watched this with a friend of mine the other night that has never really – that she's sort of a very uh, – very, um, I guess you could say, minor fan of the show. She watched it a little bit as a kid, and that was the first thing she pointed out. <laughs> when Kelly came out, she's like, she's not wearing a bra. And when Amber came out, she's like, she's not wearing a bra either. Do all the all the women on the show do that? But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're you're totally right. I'm not sure if that was uh, purposeful by the show or if that's just something that Christina Applegate decided to do and Juliet Tablet did. But <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, Amber, she's a she's a petite girl, so she probably doesn't need to wear a bra most of the time. Just speaking as a woman, but um, we should talk a little bit about Juliet Tablack. She is an actress, but she's left actressing, for lack of a better word, behind nowadays because she is now a doctor. She's Doctor Tablack. She is a doctor of uh, chiropractic care, I believe. She did have a a Facebook page, but her wellness clinic has a a Facebook page. And she does have a YouTube channel. And I've watched some of her videos that she puts up there. A lot of them uh, about um, doing stretches to ease nerve pain and um, uh, improving posture. And it's a lot about well-being. And she's, she's way into that. She's a Pilates instructor. She's a chiropractor. But she is a qualified doctor now. So And, and being a dancer herself, she, she knew... She she wanted to know more about how the body worked. And yeah, I mean, I think everyone listening to this will soon find out more about that as we progress through this season. Yeah, she's really big into um, meditation, too. Mm. Uh, you know, if you pull up her, um, she has a public Instagram, a pu- public IG. Uh, and that's one of her big things in addition to what you're saying, stretching and things like that is uh, meditation. She leads a, a meditation each day. <laughs> So. Let me have a look for her Instagram now. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't already. <laughs> Juliet Tablock. Oh, found up. Follow. <laughs> yeah, I, I subscribe to her on YouTube, and uh, I think all of us uh, on the podcast uh, should do the same, including all of our listeners, of course. Yes, I do. It's not just for men. Because I, I used to dance when I was younger, and... So anyone who's into dance, into 
uh, I see a chiropractor regularly. Anyone who's into that, she's just um, she just sounds like a great broad. So Amber's this free spirit, really. And as she keeps talking, Bud sort of drifts off. And then he does start dreaming or fantasizing, I suppose is a better word. He fantasizes some scenario when he and Amber, he's all slick and dressed up and Amber's wearing exactly what she's been wearing this entire episode. I guess I should have dressed up. Hey, it's my fantasy. You'll wear what I want you to wear. (laughs) (laughs) So they're dancing to a song, which is, um, I'm pretty sure it's a... Jonathan Wolfe, the show's music composer, just something that he's created for this scene. But it does have, it does remind me of Cheek to Cheek or, you know, that old school Hollywood type music. And it, it does suit the scene very well, but I think they just compose their own as opposed to paying for something. Yeah. I, mean, I just want to comment the set I thought was great. Uh, mm. The fact that it was in black and white and the choreography. You know, I mean, for like, yeah. you know, for like a two minute segment, you know, however long it, it went. I mean, it was really like nice choreographed. I mean, like Faustino and Tablet are dancing really well together. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not extravagant, but, you know, it really like sets a mood. And it's like, wow, that's it's actually pretty nice. Yeah, I wonder where they filmed that. I wonder if they went to like uh, I'm trying to figure I'm, I'm actually watching it right now in slow motion. I'm wondering if they filmed that. They, I'm surely they didn't build a set just for that one scene. They probably filmed that at like the, at a hotel or something, you know, a ballroom at a hotel or something. <laughs> they might have. They might have yeah. quickly uh, erected a set and filmed it the day before and then tore it down straight away. But yeah, I like the idea that they found a random ballroom in a restaurant somewhere and just filmed this little dance scene, which is a a really nice scene, and it's and it's quite classy until. <laughs> Because it's Bud's fantasy, you're going to have the two babes that have, we've already seen walk past dancing together, both wearing bright red bikinis. And in full colour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like the way he says, hey, it's my fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and those girls do look amazing in their bikinis, I have to say. Yep. So, you know, you think, oh, there's something to this girl. Bud really likes her. He's willing to just stare at her and just like, huh? And Amber knows what she's doing. She knows she, she can use her feminine wiles to seduce Bud, I think. Bud's made a new friend. So Al walks past Amber on his way in and her way out. She doesn't really acknowledge Al. She just brushes past him and goes. So I said, there must be something besides my blouse you can use as an oil rag. <laughs> huh? <laughs> oh, look at the time. I gotta go. If Aunt Marcy caught me here, there's no telling what she would do. But I'm sure it would be boring. <laughs> See ya. See ya. Cute girl. What happened, Ron House? That was Mrs. Darcy's niece. That was Amber. Marcy's niece. Must be from the unfeathered side of the family. <laughs> and Al has every confidence in his son that he has a chance with Amber. Not. <laughs> Think she and I could ever... Not a chance. Uh... Thanks, Dad. Hey, what's a father for? But looking on the bright side, Amber's living right next door, so sooner or later you'll probably get to see her naked. 
Whatever you do, don't look at Marcy. I did one time, was clinically dead for an hour and a half. <laughs> Not a chance, yeah. son. It, you know, it's funny. It's like your own, your own father. It's just like striking you down. It's like, I know, she's... She's not good enough for you. Yeah, you can't, you can't score with her. If she's living next door, sooner or later you might see her naked. Or you are going to see her naked. But what if you do? Don't look at Marcy. Because <laughs> Al did one time and he was clinically dead for an hour and a half. <laughs> clinically dead or clinically blind? I thought I had my notes he was just blinded. <laughs> yeah, we, we remember from the season six episode, uh, The Egg and I, where he saw her just in her... Negligee, I guess you could say, and it blinded him. <laughs> he didn't even have to, he didn't even have to see her naked to kill uh, to blind him. You know, just seeing her in her negligee made him blind. <laughs> Peggy got blinded too. Remember when Steve took his shirt off? <laughs> oh, they look around like, where are those voices coming from? Like, look out the window. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now I'm blind too. <laughs> uh, so Bud's still studying in bed this time and we get to see bud's bedroom it's interesting bud has an ensuite he's got his own bathroom which i mean how many bathrooms does this house have it only is supposed to have one yeah and then al built the second one yeah and now bud has right. one uh, unless it's like one of those bathrooms where i guess like you know you can go what do they call them it's like um you have the door so that you, you can share it. Like, in other words, it has, like, two entrances and you lock the door when you come in. On suite? But technically, the bathroom is supposed to be in Alan Pegg's room. Because yeah, I remember we covered that mm. on one podcast. Because they said the house only had one. Members like, why does this house have only one bathroom? That was in the whole, when they built the uh, the Ferguson bathroom. Yeah. So, so all of a sudden, it's like, you know, Bud has his own bathroom. <laughs> you know, Alan Pegg had their own bathroom. And then this is where does Kelly go? Yeah, does she have her own bathroom? Uh, Maybe it's because she's out of the house a lot. <laughs> True. For all I know, Kelly shares that bathroom with Bud. I mean, the whole layout and geography of this house is crazy and contradictory, but she could very well share a bathroom with her brother, but it looks very much like Bud's got his own shower room there. And even later when Kelly's date appears in the window looking for Kelly and Bud says next window and he points to his left um, uh, oh why did I do that <laughs> just, it, just it, it annoys me <laughs> floor pa- plans of fake yeah. houses definitely yeah Psst. Psst. damn leaky rubber woman <laughs> Bud it's me Amber Amber, what are you doing over here? Well, I had to go somewhere. And since Aunt Marcy said never, ever, ever to come over here, here I am. (laughs) So yeah, Bud drifts off, or almost drifts off, and then Marcy appears at his window. And yeah, Chris, you were saying that's uh, that's your fantasy. Amber, Amber. What did I say? Marcy. You said Marcy. Marcy. Oh, wow. (laughs) 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 That's, That's a nightmare. Yes, Amber appears in his window, and Chris, you were saying before, that is every man's dream, whereas Marcy appearing in your window would probably be every man's nightmare. Every man's nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I was just I was just saying it's like, you know, I think every guy's had this fantasy at some point in his life where you're just sitting at home messing around and uh, a woman that looks like Amber crawls in your window. <laughs> of course, that doesn't happen in real life, but hey, it's his fantasy. <laughs> but this is real for him. So. And as she's uh, as Amber's walking in, we hear pss, pss, pss. <laughs> Damn Poor leaky Isis. rubber woman. <laughs> Poor Isis. We haven't seen Isis in a while or heard from her. <laughs> no, but she's, she's still going. <laughs> Probably only just by this point. So, uh, yeah, it's Amber, not Marcy, at the window. <laughs> I don't know if you remember back to the end of season four, beginning of season five, Bud had a, a little crush on Marcy, remember? He did. I remember that very well. <laughs> Yeah, and, 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 and Marcy probably still believes that they did sleep together. <laughs> That's true. They never really resolved that. So in her mind, uh, she probably thinks that they slept together <laughs> still to this day. Hmm. So Marcy told Amber to never, ever, ever go over to the Bundy house. So there she is. That's a great impersonation. Yes, I did like. <laughs> so far, we've had um, you know a couple of episodes ago, we had Jefferson doing a really quick Marcy impression, and now we've got Amber doing a really quick Marcy impression. She's just very imitable. <laughs> Amber has. Um, she might have hurt her neck. I mean, can Bud rub it? With what though? <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> she says, "Surprise me," right? <laughs> yeah, uh, with, uh, with um, hands, I think <laughs> Wait a minute I know what's happening I'm dreaming again Yeah, that's it As soon as I touch her, I'll be in school without my pants on Ooh, your hands feel so strong Especially the right one <laughs> Do you work out? Kind of. When he says that he'll wake up and he'll be in school without his pants on, that made me flashback to the episode Teacher's Pet, uh, Teacher's Pet, uh, Teacher Pets in season six, where he pulls down his pants because he thinks he's dreaming, but he's not, and that's when Al walks in. Hilarious scene. How many men have you ruined in your thousand years? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like Amber's line, you know, your hands feel so strong, especially the right one. <laughs> and then <laughs> asks if Bud works out, and he says, kind of. <laughs> and his right hand, I have my notes, is uber strong. Yes. It reminds me of those memes and pictures you see on the internet of a guy with in lockdown. He's got one really muscular arm. He's like, yeah, I watch, I watch movies on the internet sometimes. <laughs> Still, this can't be real. Oh, well, there's only one way to know for sure. Amber? Want to have sex? Sure. <laughs> Yep, it's a dream, all right. <laughs> but who cares? So that's that's how Bud knows it definitely is a dream. Did you guys think Bud was dreaming at this point, or were you sort of clued in, like, oh, Bud's finally scored? I would. Well, I. I mean, I 
I think I was too too young to remember what I thought the first time I, th- I saw this, but I would think it would be within the realm of possibility if somebody's watching this for the first time, they're probably thinking he's dreaming. <laughs> I mean, just based on the earlier scenes in the episode where he was daydreaming, you know, at at home, uh, sitting next to Al, and then at the shoe store. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, this all seems too unbelievable. You know, a girl crawling in the window, massage me, want to have sex? Sure. <laughs> yeah, you know? sure. I, I'll say that I remember watching this in its first run, and I think that when I got to this point, I thought it was a dream. And I think what really made me think it was a dream was when you cut to Bud on the bed, he's fully dressed in his pajamas, and he's not really disheveled. Mm. So, like, I mean, so I guess the fact was, it's like, I mean, <laughs> if he was, like, under the covers or something, like, you, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of times when in television, when they... they they have a sex scene usually you know for a guy at least would have like no shirt on it'd be like under the covers or like at least you'd see like his shoulders so it didn't look right to me from uh you know from that from the way it was set up but then when she comes out then it's like okay it wasn't a dream look i've got to go but i just want you to know that you're by far the best lover i've ever had It's like you really know your body. Yeah, well, you can chalk that up to experience. I mean, with women. Not that I lay here at night and feel myself up. Because that would be really pathetic and dumb. It's interesting that Amber tells him that he is by far the best lover she's ever had. I think she's BSing him, but but I do believe her when she says that he really, really knows his body. (laughs) You can chalk that up to experience. Yep. (laughs) I mean, mean, not with with itself or anything, you know. Maybe she could ask Isis. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, speaking of Isis, uh, yeah, we, we hear Isis go, um, go with the, the following morning, because when Amber first walked in the window, I noticed that um, he thought it was Isis having trouble. <laughs> yeah, definitely the sort of thing I'd like to wake up to at three in the morning. I mean, just last night before recording this, I was up at four in the morning. Um, oh, that was blooming terrible. Uh, but uh, yeah, nothing like Bud. Uh, I was a lot worse off than he was. <laughs> Uh, I think Chris can sympathize with you. I mean, I guess just for the audience's perspective, you know, uh, recording with Australia uh, in the North American winter is not easy. So we have to do this at very uh, weird hours of the day. And, you know, it goes both ways. And I do appreciate both of you getting up very early. And I hope you have good heating. Yeah, I can't th- I can't thank you both for now. So I hope you Luigi in particular have good heating because I imagine Texas would be a bit warmer in the winter than New Jersey. Oh yeah, I don't have a problem with heat. Yeah, it's not uh it's not bad at all here. We're kind of at the stretch of the year where I don't run my air conditioner or heater for a really long t- for the next handful of months, so <laughs> So that's nice. So Amber better get back. And when Bud asks if she'll see him tomorrow, she goes over and Frenches him. 
Because they are properly kissing. Which makes me believe that they are dating in real life, but, you know, they're actors as well. But... We'll see. <laughs> Kelly? <laughs> Next window. And as I mentioned before, we get an appearance by one of Kelly's recurring boyfriends, Genghis. <laughs> we find out that's his name later on, but yeah. Uh, he's played by a guy called Joseph Reitman, and he is, or at least used to be, married to Shannon Elizabeth. Really? Yeah. I'm not sure if they are anymore. He was previously married to Shannon Elizabeth. So he's had his share of beautiful babes, too. Holy cow. I just look, he's married to her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. He was doing pretty good, I'd say. <laughs> Yeah, from 2002 to 2005, they were married. I, 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 like, I, like, I like how he gets beat up. Yes. <laughs> Al, Al beats him up in uh, a subsequent episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll see him again for sure. And Bud tells him Kelly's room is the next window, which, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Maybe he was in a daze and meant to point somewhere else or... Yeah, he doesn't. He said, yeah, Kelly's try another window. So now we're back, presumably, what, the next day, a couple of days later? And Bud's had to take the test to get the scholarship, and he didn't even get it. So. Now you'll be here forever like your mother. <laughs> like me. Don't forget me, Daddy. My spike here. <laughs> you were supposed to be the Bundy that made it. Yeah. The great white pope. <laughs> Don't help daddy pumpkin. Because like Bud would actually really go to Oxford in the first place. We knew that was never going to happen. And besides, uh, he's probably banned from entering the mother country, United Kingdom anyway, after what happened in London and lower and upper Uncton, Kent, two and a half years earlier. Yes. <laughs> That's, That's a very good, good point. point. Very good point. And Spike's not leaving either. Oh. <laughs> Bud is, you know, the quote-unquote smart one of the family. So he was supposed to be the Bundy that made it. The great white Pope. <laughs> 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 and of course she means the great white hope. So this is Kelly's malapropism or Kellyism of the episode. As we discuss in a future episode, Kelly sort of gets one of these malapropisms every episode now from here on out almost every episode but the great white hope what she was really referring to is a nickname that's sort of attributed to boxers who were the hope of the the white race to beat the african-american boxers that's right for jack johnson who was uh known as the galveston giant i mean so chris he's from your neck of the woods you know much about him uh I mean, I've heard of him. I think that was quite a bit before my time, but I've heard of him. Uh, and that, no, definitely before all of our time, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that figure of speech, uh, the Great White Hope, gets used uh, even today, though. Like Larry Bird at one point was called the Great White Hope. Uh, you know, Larry Legend. Uh, there was a sprinter, uh, a high school uh, sprinter, that was called the the uh, called the Great White Hope. Uh, a couple of years ago, because he was breaking all these records, and he was like the first uh, first white uh, high school athlete uh, that was a you know a really really good um, sprinter, I guess, in many many years. 
they were calling him the great white hope. So, I mean, that, that uh, figure of speech or phrase or whatever you want to call it uh, still gets used quite a bit to this day. So originally it was, uh, it was used to see like who could beat Jack Johnson. So he was the Galveston giant. During the Jim Crow era, he became the first African-American world heavyweight boxing champion. So this is from 1908 to 1915. He was among the period's most dominant champions, and he remains a boxing legend. Filmmaker Ken Burns has said that, quote, for more than 13 years, Jack Johnson was the most famous and most notorious African-American on earth. Nice. That's pretty cool. So this is pre-Tyson. Yeah. (laughs) So... Bud doesn't get the scholarship. You know, we knew that was never going to happen. But I was wondering how we should punish him. I say we put him in a sack and throw him off the Sears Tower. (laughs) the hell am I going to get a sack? (laughs) Dad, whatever you do, just don't send me to my room, especially for a whole week. (laughs) That would kill me. You go to your room! One week. You're a cruel but uh, fair man. <laughs> but then Amber sneaks in again. So she's she's liking what she's getting so far, or at least she likes playing with Bud. If you know what I mean. Yes. Yes. And on a side note, she's I noticed she's smoking in green at the moment. I could probably do a whole episode dedicated to my love of amber. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disbelieve you. <laughs> but being the smart one, he, he knows what to say to get Al to banish him to his room. Especially for a whole week. Although, don't you think it's funny? I mean, like, how old is Bud now? <laughs> his character. Yeah. Well, he's, he's 21 at the end of this season, and he's been 20 for a while. So I'm going to assume he is 21 now. No, I mean, he's, he's, he's still getting punished. I mean, banished to his room at 21. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like how Bud, like, sprinted up the stairs. <laughs> yes. He took off. He's a, you're a fair and just man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could have rent, run track at yeah. this point, right? <laughs> yeah, he could have been the next great white hope. <laughs> No Ma'am will be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. So, how many black and white fantasies with hot chicks dancing are you having for this episode, Matt? Well, Anna, un, de trois, quatre, cinq, or um, in anglais, five! 
Well, um, what can I say? Um, you f we meet Griff for the first time. We meet the amazing Amber for the first time. I mentioned earlier in this episode about um, how even back in the day I was a huge fan of Amber, which was probably enhanced when after um, having a crush on a teacher um, where our school used to work at. Uh, I was the IT guy, she was a teacher. Um, and, uh, well... Her name was also Amber. She even looked a bit like um, Bundy Amber, you could call her. So, and uh, just Bud finally getting some. Uh, well, uh, Bud, Bud trying to study and obviously flunking because he knew he was never going to go to Oxford. Uh, Master having a rebellious niece who was nothing like her. Oh, man. Uh, this is definitely one of my favourites, not just of the later years of the show, but the whole series in general. Uh, honestly, solid watch, start to finish. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love this one. How about you, Anna? Well, we'll come to me in a second, but first I want to hear what the other guys have to say. So, Luigi, how many black and white fantasies with hot chicks dancing are you going to give this episode? I am going to give this five fantasies so that's uh 10 hot chicks i guess it's 15 if you include amber right five times but uh no i i really loved this episode i think that there really wasn't uh there weren't any loose ends like i think that you know the b plots that were in there like i think that the jokes were on point yeah, and I've talked about that before it's like sometimes it's like you have a really strong a plot but maybe like an unfinished b plot or um, something missing there, but I thought that it was really good. I really liked the addition of Amber. This was very much a Bud episode, so this was an episode you know that was centered around the Bud character, and we don't get a lot of those. So I think that they the writing was really good. I thought the set. I mean, you know, uh, for someone like who enjoys music, like I actually like that whole ballroom scene, you know, with the choreography and all that. It's like it's nice. It's like it actually. If you think about it, the whole point is it's like, you know, well, what would you, as at least us speaking as a man, it's like, what would I be fantasizing about? Is that like an image that comes in my head, right? And Bud is actually being romantic in that scene, right? <laughs> Except for when the two uh, blondes, <laughs> you know, dance by in, in color. I think the construct was great. I think that um, I even like something as subtle as uh, Amber's uh, making fun of her Aunt Marcy, like never, ever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think she definitely studied Amanda Burse uh, in order to be able to deliver that line. So yeah, I'd give it a five out of five. Very nice. So Chris, how many black and white fantasies with hot chicks dancing are you going to give this episode? Well, I am also going to give it a five. This is an episode that I love. Uh, it's always been one of my favorites. Uh, as Luigi pointed out, it is a Bud-centric episode. And uh, of all the Bud episodes, this is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, to me, it's up there with uh, uh, Mystery of Skull Island, which, of course, is the one where uh, he and Al jump out of the airplane. <laughs> uh, and, and I also, you know, another one I really like is the, the nudie bar episode where Al takes him. But uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I think um, that's every guy's dream uh, to be sitting at home and have a have a girl like Amber crawl into your window like that. Uh, and he and Am he and uh, Juliet Tablack had uh, great chemistry on screen right away. And, uh, you know, the, the B plots are really are really good as well. And also we get introduced to Griff for the first time. 
And as we mentioned, Griff uh, would become a uh, major character throughout season 9, 10, and 11 in the third act here of the show. So uh, we get introduced to uh, a couple of my favorite support characters in the entire series. And uh, this is one I always look forward to. So I will give it a five. Very nice. As for myself, I wanted the three of you to go before me because I had a feeling this might be a Hall of Famer. And spoiler alert, it is. Because I too will give this five out of five. Five black and white fantasies with chicks in red bikinis dancing. For all the reasons that you have already mentioned, all three of you, it's a great, great episode for Bud and for David Faustino in particular. His storyline is believable. He's still studying. There's no weak plots. I mean, such as they are. I mean, we've only, we've got the one big plot with Bud and then everybody else is um, having their own little minor plots. I mean, Marcy and Jefferson, are, they still have their own scene together, but they're here to introduce Amber. And Kelly's <laughs> wanting to see Otitis Medea, which is a great name for a band. And so Kelly's just being Kelly. And um, we get introduced to Griff, I mean, sort of a bit quietly, really, because based on the episode title, you think, oh, this is the episode that introduces Amber. And it is, but we also get introduced to Griff. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, Amber is a one-season wonder, so she'll be around a few more times this season. And I honestly have no idea whether or not she had longevity. If she had lasted, she could have lasted, you know, sporadically throughout season 10, maybe 11 as well. I don't know. But we'll, we'll see how Amber and Bud's relationship progresses as we continue this season. But it's nice that we get introduced to her. I've become more appreciative of Amber over the years, especially uh, more recently and um, knowing more about the actress as well. I like her very much and with her career and the things that she does now. And Griff, uh, I think, is a solid character. I mean, we're, we're just touching the tip of the iceberg with him at this stage. And he doesn't even have a scene with Al yet. And again, we'll just we'll just see what happens with him the rest of this season and the rest of the show. So all characters are well used, except for Peg. I mean, she's still away, so she has an excuse, but it, it sort of doesn't matter because everybody else is involved. But this is very much Bud's baby. So this is his episode. It nicely introduces two new characters. And yeah, I don't have any reason to rate it lower than a five. Cool. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah, and I, I mentioned we get introduced to two new characters in this episode. And in next week and the following week, we get we get to meet two more recurring Married Children characters. So stay tuned for that. And we also have um, some big news that we alluded to earlier, don't we, Chris? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, we have a surprise. Uh, Luigi and myself uh, have interviewed uh, Juliet Tablack, or I should say Dr. Juliet Tablack, uh, who, of course, plays Amber. And uh, that interview will air, uh, I believe, next week. Um, so that'll be a, a treat for everyone. We're going to talk to her a little bit about her time on Married with Children uh, and some of her other acting experience and how she got into acting and also uh, her career after acting. Uh, as um, I believe Annabelle mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, she is uh, a... Uh, chiropractor now she owns her own practice there in uh, california the bay area of san francisco and uh, where she focuses on wellness and stretching pilates meditation and and all that good stuff so we'll be going all over all that in uh, next week's interview so look forward to that 
And finally, just before we wrap up, we have a Married with Children podcast fan named Stefan Kruzberg, who submitted a song to us entitled Four Touchdowns in a Game that he wanted us to play. It is from a band named Italo Disco from their album entitled Moscow Lady that was released on September 15th, 2020. I believe both Stefan and the band are from Germany. You can find the album and song on such listening platforms as Spotify. Crank up your volume and we hope you enjoy the song.
baddest car in the street. He is known for his waning hair and the jacket which he wears with his big hand in his pants. This is for him. His daily romance begins is what he likes. The jiggly room and the bike. Four touchdowns in a game. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. Chicago's greatest football wonder of Paul Kai. Do you remember? Four touchdowns in a game. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. Chicago's greatest football wonder of Paul Kai. Do you remember? So, that's all for us here in the Australian Nudie Bar this week. Tune in two weeks from now from when the podcast will be reviewing Business Sucks. When Al banishes a nursing mother for breastfeeding her baby in the shoe store, Marcy and Fang hold a protest against Gary's shoes in order to have the ban lifted. So that is all from us here in the Australian nudie bar, Jiggly Room. Thank you to our American friends for joining myself and Matt this evening. And we will see you next week with a very special episode.